Today I'd like to speak about being in God's will. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word for prove there in the Greek is dokimatso, which means to test, to discern, or to examine. So today I will be discussing what it means to discern and test what is the good will of God, the acceptable will of God, and the perfect will of God in our lives. These are three measurable degrees of the will of God in the New Testament. But first, I want to outline the general principle of being in the will of God, starting from the Old Testament. God's will, thelema, which means the heart's desire of God, God's will for our lives is God's pathway of purpose and meaning for our lives that flows from his heart to our hearts on our journey of life with him. In the Old Testament, Israel was sovereignly placed into God's will by his choice. God took them on a journey under the leadership of Moses into the promised land of Canaan. He had rescued them from out of their slavery under the harsh rule of Pharaoh in Egypt and he gave them the commandments of the law through Moses for them to know what his will was for them and to know his wisdom and to learn obedience. They didn't volunteer for this. They were sovereignly placed into God's will for him to act out his purpose through their lives. They had to learn obedience. You know, another way of saying obedience is to say doing the will of God. And that's what we're talking about today. God took the nation of Israel to be his people whose way of life would glorify God by putting God on display to all those other nations. He gave them priests that would offer the blood of animal sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sins and for them to know his mercy. And he worked miracles of provision of food and supernaturally won battles for them against their enemies to show them his power and strength. And for about 1,500 years, God also provided them with prophets and kings to lead and guide them and to keep them in his will. But for all this, they strayed from his path for them. There were corrupt prophets and evil kings and wicked priests who led them astray for the most part of that time as a nation. Their going astray can be summed up in one episode of disobedience and rebellion when he spoke to them through Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 30, he says this to them. Woe to my rebellious children, says the Lord. You ask advice from everyone but me and decide to do what I don't want you to do. You yoke yourselves with unbelieving nations. For without consulting me, you have gone down to Egypt to find aid and have put your trust in Pharaoh for his protection. But you'll be disappointed, humiliated and disgraced, for he can't deliver on his promise to save you. Despite their willfulness, they were still sovereignly in his will. 
but he had to warn them that their willfulness was preventing them from receiving his saving power over them. So a few verses later on in Isaiah 30, it says this, For the Lord God says, Only in returning to me and waiting for me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. He will answer you, and with your own eyes you will see your teachers. That word in the ESV, the English Standard Version, which is a good version of the Bible, that word teachers is translated teacher with a capital T. And it's interesting, the Hebrew word is yara, which means to flow like water. I believe that's pointing towards the fact that even though the teachers for them were the prophets and the priests, the teacher for us is the Holy Spirit. And that scripture goes on to say, And if you leave God's paths and go astray, you will hear a voice behind you say, This is the way, walk in it. That's the word of the teacher. For us, the Holy Spirit, for them, the prophets and priests. The only way that Israel could finally come into the perfect will of God for them was in the person of Jesus, who walked in perfect harmony and oneness with his Father in spirit, soul and body. Jesus said in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, Our body you have prepared for me. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. The New Testament reality for us is that we can be brought into God's will through Jesus in our harmony and oneness with him. We who believe are now his body in the earth. Israel's consciousness of God's will was the outward seeing of his works in action and the hearing of the words of the prophets. Our consciousness of God's will is through the inner seeing by faith and the witness of the Holy Spirit and the renewing of our minds. We can confidently live in an ever-present consciousness of being in his will. Being in God's will is more about flowing with God rather than receiving direct dictates about things for which we have options and our own responsibilities. Like, what house should we or should we not buy? Or what job should I accept? Many years ago, I had a young couple came to me and said, Would you please pray for us? We want to hear from God. I said, well, I'll certainly pray with you. They said, we want to buy a home. We have two choices. and We can't decide between which of those homes should be ours in God's will. If we buy the wrong house, we could be out of God's will. So I explained to them, God's will has got nothing to do about you buying the right or the wrong house. You're in God's will whichever house you're in, as long as you're willing to have your life in his hands and let him guide you and lead you for his purpose and meaning in your life. And that can be done in any house. In fact, your house, for each of you, is your own self, your body. That's where you're doing his will. He's prepared that for you. As far as getting a job is concerned, it is sometimes a matter of taking what is available at the time. Paul wrote to Titus, in chapter 3, verse 1, and he said, Tell the people to be ready for any honest work. It wasn't a matter of being choosy. He actually said in the same passage of Scripture, There are lazy people there. If they don't work, they won't eat. 
So God's will can flow in our life no matter what our options seem to be. And we do not always have to get a text message from God that eliminates our responsibility. We may even go down a blind alley at times, but God will always come down there with us and graciously bring us back again. We see that in this scripture, a few verses on from the last one in Isaiah chapter 30. He will be with you to teach you. With your own eyes you will see your teachers. And if you leave God's paths and go astray, you will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. As I mentioned earlier, the teacher for us is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that in one of my favourite scriptures in 1 John 2 verse 27, which says, The anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but that same anointing that teaches you concerning all things is true, is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, abide in him. So when he says you don't need that anyone teach you, he's talking about from moment to moment, the decisions that we have to make in life, on our journey. We don't go and consult some teacher. What will I do here? What will I do there? Insofar as God's will is concerned, the Holy Spirit is there to teach us that. Of course, there's always room for wise counsel. But ultimately, we need to hear what God is saying to us, receive counsel, and then get a witness in the Holy Spirit. I want to now return to the text scripture that we read at the beginning. Romans 12.1 Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, or test, discern, examine, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our bodies become actively engaged in the physical doing of his will and our minds become renewed with a new consciousness of living in the will of God. This scripture mentions, as we have noted, three aspects of the doing of God's will that can be tested or measured as to what sphere of God's will we operate in at any one time. These are three degrees of the will of God. The good will of God, the acceptable will of God, and the perfect will of God. These aren't just a group of words that all together say one thing, do the will of God. And Paul was not just modelling a spiritual theory. He was outlining a transformative process of being conformed to God's likeness in the doing of his will in spirit, soul and body in these three spheres of operation. They are three degrees of doing the will of God. The first is the good will of God. The Greek word there for good is agathos, which means of benefit, good, productive. We honour God by doing worthwhile and productive activities for ourselves and others, as unto the Lord. And God's good things do not just happen. They are done on purpose. And we can begin each day with that purposeful attitude, knowing that God is with us in the doing of his will. As we do good things for others, 
and faithfully serve. The Bible says that Jesus went about doing good in Acts chapter 10. But didn't he do a whole lot of things like healing the sick and raising the dead and doing miracles? Yes, he did. But he set his heart on going about doing good. And as he did, miracles happened. He heard from the Father through the Spirit on the journey of doing good, the goodwill of God. When we do the goodwill of God, other good things happen around us. Just take a look at prayer and praising God and waiting on the Lord. They are all purposeful acts of doing good. And God responds to us in this by working all things together for our good and for the good of those that we bring to him in prayer. That's in Romans 8, verse 28. There is the doing of good in simple, faithful service to others, which is very straightforward. We do that for people whether we know them or whether they're strangers. And where we recognize that whatever good work we do is being done as unto the Lord. It may be helping somebody out to solve a problem. Maybe doing something physically for them. Sitting and listening to them. Telling them you're available for help. All of this is the doing of good. It's not just being a do-gooder so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, what a good boy am I. No, this is knowing that God is with you in this. Just as sin and the selfish ego must be exposed to God's light, so must the understanding of the will of God be brought into the light. This is God's kingdom reordering in this time in which we live. I believe that God is bringing about an exposure of all the kind of disorder that there is going on in the world today, with the corruption and the conflict and so much of the deception that's happening. I believe that if we were to ask for a move of God today, we could truly say we are in a move of God, of God exposing the corruption and the disorder of this world. But I do believe he's also bringing into the light understanding for us to do his will. So how do we test that the good will of God is happening in us? We need to consciously ask ourselves where God's will is fitting in to our thinking and doing at any one time. We stop and ask God. We stop and remind ourselves that we are, when we do good things for other people, also doing them for God and with God and unto God. Then there is the acceptable will of God. The Greek word for acceptable is eurastos. Eurastos means well-pleasing. There are sacrificial things we can do for others that lift our doing good into a higher expression of relationships that please the heart of God, that bless other people. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, it says, Don't forget to do good as you share what you have with those in need, for such sacrifices are well-pleasing to him. So this sacrificial doing of something for people in need, going without so that they can be blessed, that is eurastos, that is acceptable. It's a higher value than just good. They are well-pleasing to God. Paul also mentions the giving of those in the church at Philippi towards the support of his ministry. He says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, 
no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. I have received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma. You sent these things for my necessities, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. So we see there that sacrificial giving brings a multiplication of what is given. That's in this acceptable will of God. In the good will of God, we see that when we do good, good things happen around us and things work together for good. Here we see multiplication. Then we come to the third one to be tested, the perfect will of God. The Greek word for perfect is teleos. It means complete, mature in growth of spirit and character. The Bible says that Jesus was made perfect through suffering. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, it says, It was fitting that he, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This means that God's will involves going through adverse circumstances and learning to accept them with thanksgiving, even when they involve receiving unjust treatment at the hands of others. When Jesus willingly went through the injustice of his suffering at the hands of those who persecuted him and insulted him, there was a power of God released into the earth that brought us to God. 1 Peter 3 verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. When we go through times of suffering and adversity and place ourselves trustingly in God's hands, there is a power released from heaven that draws people to God. That is something that I believe is waiting to happen as we offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice in these days. We can be assured that the perfect work of Jesus is working through us by faith in these times and receive even his joy in our hearts despite the suffering. And we can know that we are being transformed. The highest state of consciousness that a human being can have that lifts them above the disorder of this world is to know that they are in the will of God. Everything else has to make way for God's will in his kingdom, even in the midst of chaos around us. We become part of the Lord's prayer of, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We can invite God at any time to search our hearts, as David did in the Psalms, and show us any wrong attitudes that we have so that we can get his guidance to be brought back into his will. In Psalm 139, David says, Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. There's your guidance. Having this attitude gives us confidence to go forward in faith, even when we're aware of falling short because of our weaknesses and failures. And if everything gets too hard, we humbly cry out to Jesus and ask him to do it for us. That's not copping out. 
That's just saying, I've come to the limit of what I can do, Lord. I'm surrendering this into your hands. And God says, good, you've come to me in a place of rest and surrender. That's called obtaining mercy and finding grace. Hebrews 4.16 tells us, come confidently to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. That's particularly in situations like this, when it's gone beyond what we think is our capacity or our limits. God says, no, I will be your strength. That kind of honest transparency brings forth our faith to do God's will. The right pathway is an attitude of trust as God steers us into his peace in our hearts. Having that kind of peace and that kind of trust and faith is what it means to be in his will. Thank you, Lord, for leading us day by day as we submit to your will being done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.